Today we're going to look at Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Let's read those together. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Father, this morning, God, we're thankful that... um, that we're able to come together as a church family, that we're able to come together for the sake of proclaiming your glories, Lord, through worship, as Nelson um, referred to earlier, Lord, through the fellowship that we experience as a church body, as a family, as believers. God, that happens by the ministry of Jesus Christ. God, Hebrews points out so many things for us, Lord, but we understand Christ as high priest in the book of Hebrews, which allows us to come into your presence. Father, as we're going to explore what you're trying to say to us in these couple of verses, I pray that you would just speak to us, God. The words that I say, Lord, let them not be just my thoughts, Lord, but let them flow from, um, from the truth of Scripture and uh, by the control of the Holy Spirit this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in getting started, I have a question for you. And as a, as a preacher... I am more of a participatory guy. I don't want to just stand up here and lecture and you guys just listen and probably doze off if it's just me being a speaker. So I want you guys to participate. So real quick, how do we know somebody? Relationships, spend time with them. You guys would know a lot about that, especially right now, right? How else? How do we know somebody? How do we know what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're experiencing inside? Talk to them. Exactly. Communication. 1 Corinthians 2.11, if you want to write it down. Um, basically, it communicates to us that no one knows a person's thoughts unless he shares them. Uh, a lot of times, I think, I expect Kelly to be able to, to read my mind, but it doesn't always work that way, right? And um, actually, I am probably the worst communicator on the face of the planet. For instance, a couple of weeks ago, as you guys probably know, Shiloh has had uh, a couple of surgeries now over the past month or so. And I asked Kelly, I said, okay, Kelly, remind me, when's Shiloh's doctor's appointments and surgery and all that? She said, I told you yesterday. And I knew I was in trouble then, right? I, I, I could have played it off like, yeah, I, I know, I'm just playing it cool, trying to make sure I got all the details down, but I didn't. I was just like, I'm sorry, I probably was not paying attention as well as I should have. So you guys have probably heard before that um, a lot of the problems that exist in our world in relationships, they're due to a lack of communication. How many of you heard that? If you haven't, your wife has said it. I promise you just didn't hear, okay? The key to healthy relationships is always good communication. We have the capacity to know God today because he has chosen to communicate with us. You guys follow? We only know God because of his revelation to us. Now, the way I see it in Scripture, and um, specifically in these passages, there are different phases of revelation. It's what um, theologians refer to as progressive revelation. The way I think of Josie starting to learn some more advanced math grammar book and a spelling book, and then later in time, he gave us advanced um, theology or advanced reading, things like that. That's the way that progressive revelation has worked. But that doesn't mean that certain revelations were untrue or less true and that we got the full truth later on. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate to us in these verses. So let's dig into those, all right? 
Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Let's read it again. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. If you guys just want to keep your finger there, we're going to read that several times as we, as we walk through this. Every book of the Bible is written with a specific purpose in mind. Um, for instance, we have four different Gospels, right? But if you read through them, you'll notice that there are different idiosyncrasies of the, of the authors. Matthew, for instance, it was written to the Jews. The Jews were awaiting a Messiah. They were waiting for a king to come and rule and reign and, and to establish their position in the world um, as God's chosen people. So when Matthew wrote to the Jews... He um, emphasized Christ's kingship, his majesty, his being the Messiah. Uh, Mark, on the other hand, it was written to the Romans. Uh, if you read through Mark, you'll notice there's no genealogy, whereas the Jews, it was really important where your family, what your family line was. That wasn't necessarily important to people outside of, uh, out of the Jews. So there's no um, genealogy included in Mark. But Mark emphasized Jesus being a servant. He emphasized the miracles that he performed. He emphasized his uh, acts of service to the people that he came in contact with. Luke emphasized Christ being the Son of Man. Um, that's most clearly um, pictured, I think, in Jesus' prayers in Luke. If you ever want to study prayer, read through Luke and see how Jesus prayed. Luke is the book that uh, helps us to identify with Jesus' humanity, the way that he struggled with uh, just certain aspects of, of living on this world um, outside of what he had experienced for eternity past. Luke emphasized the Son of Man uh, in, in Christ. John, on the other hand, emphasized Jesus' divine nature, the Son of God. James, uh, the, the theme of James is a test. How do we know for a true believer? Philippians, you guys know what Philippians is about? Joy, yeah. How we have joy, not just joy in nothingness or even joy in our being Christians, but joy in fellowship, and more specifically, fellowship with Christ. Well, in order to understand the book of Hebrews, we have to understand what's the theme. And to really get the theme, you kind of have to dig into it deeply. But the theme of Hebrews, it's be great to write it down. The theme of Hebrews is to display Christ's preeminence. In all of creation, Christ is preeminent. The reason that uh, the author of Hebrews wanted to picture this is because the people that had been saved, they were Jews, and they had come out of this lifestyle of Judaism, of sacrifices, of legalism, of the law. And they had left that. They had left the synagogue. They had left the fellowship that they had had with other Jews. And now they were in the church. But what was happening uh, as um, just time pressed on and they were about to experience really terrible persecution under the rule of Nero, then as they started feeling all this pressure, they were tempted to fall back into Judaism. That way they could go back and be a part of the synagogue. Uh, But what that meant was giving up their Christian faith. The author of Hebrews saw that as the most terrible thing possible for them. So what he's doing is he's saying, it doesn't matter what you're going back to. All that that we've given up for the sake of Christ is worth it because Jesus Christ is better. So that's the underlying theme that this author has in mind when he writes Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. The first point that I want to make to us today is the fact that God spoke. How amazing is that? Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke. What that says to me is that 
God is not a silent God. He's not a God who wants to keep his will hidden from you. He's not someone who wants to keep his self, his person separated from you, but he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. He's not silent. He's not some abstract idea that we're left to wonder about or left to think about with, with really no guidelines or anything like that. He's a person. He's a person who communicates by means of, of, of a word through his relationships. And the thing that really hits me as I think about the fact that we serve and we love a God who speaks is, how many of you guys in you don't have to raise your hand, but just answer this in your heart. How, how many of you ever complained that, man, I just can't hear God, or I don't know God, or I don't feel God? You guys ever felt like that? Probably a lot. To me, as I think about that in relation to my own spiritual life, it's really sad because we serve a God who speaks. We serve a God who spoke through his word, and that wants to reveal himself to us. So if we don't hear God or we're not living in a close relationship with God, the problem is with us and our pursuit of God in that kind of relationship. All right? Moving forward, the second time that the second point that I want to make is um, the author of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The way that God chooses to speak to his people is through men that he's chosen to deliver the word. And in the Old Testament period, it was through the prophets. Um, But before the prophets came, had God spoken in any way before that? Absolutely. Uh, Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, What can be known about God is plain to them because he's shown it through creation so that all who observe creation are without excuse when they stand before God in the judgment, basically. So God made the fact that there is right and wrong. C.S. Lewis and mere Christianity calls that the law of nature. The law of nature is that every man knows that there's a right and wrong. Um, Have you guys ever known anybody who's a little bit more postmodern and there's all this relative truth and things like that, right? Next time somebody is trying to argue relative truth, there's no absolute truth, you can steal their car and they'll tell you it's absolutely wrong. I guarantee it. So (laughs) God has placed in our heart a knowledge that there is a right and wrong and we can push against that all we want. But we're without excuse when we stand before God. And that's what the Lord revealed um, through creation. So that's what we'll call stage one of God's communicating to us. But that doesn't give us any idea of how we're to live in right relationship with God, right? How did he do that? What we're calling stage two today is that God spoke by the prophets. Um, In verse one, he says he spoke through the prophets at many times and in many ways. The way I think we can... We can translate that as understanding our Bible. The many times refers to many periods or in many books. We have our Old Testament, and it's made up of a collection of a lot of different writings. And God spoke in many times or through many books. Uh, and the many ways that uh, the author of Hebrews is referring to right here, God didn't speak through just one way. In Genesis, we have um, God speaking through Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. So that's a type. In Exodus, we have thunder and lightning and audible voices and burning bushes, right? In Ezekiel, we have strange visions. Daniel has strange visions. Um, There are many different ways. When we think about, I don't hear God, God doesn't just make himself available to us in one way. If he did, I guarantee you I would miss it, 
A lot of you guys would probably miss it too. But because God knows that people are made differently, that people are going to appreciate different ways of his communicating, he wants so desperately for us to know who he is that he spoke in many books and in many different ways, visions, audible voices. But the clearest way that he spoke is through the prophets, through those men of God that he had chosen. Um, As you go through, remember how earlier I said that every book has a theme and there's something that God wants to emphasize. If we look at the Old Testament, what was God emphasizing? We could say there are specific sub-themes, but what was God ultimately emphasizing in every book? It was Jesus Christ. I guarantee you, if we took the time to go through every book of the Old Testament, it's pointing to Jesus Christ. All right? Um, The next point that I want to make to us It's just the next part of the verse. Um, It says, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. The last days, as as the the Hebrews understood it, was the time from the Messiah. Everything before that was a separate period, but the last days are the time that the Messiah came. Um, What He's saying in this, and you can look at chapters... 2 and 3 and in Hebrews, and you can see that the, the author lays out that God is better than the angels. Long ago when I studied Hebrews uh, for the first couple of times, I really struggled to understand why he talked so much, almost two chapters, about angels, about angels, about angels. And then I understood that the angels are just messengers. The word angelos means messenger. And what it what it involves is they're bringing the law. Did you guys know that the angels were actually involved in bringing the Levitical law? We can look at Acts 7 and 53. Write it down if you want to. Galatians 3.19 and Hebrews 2.2 as you move forward in Hebrews. And it emphasizes the fact that angels are messengers who were involved in the delivery of the law. So one thing that the, that the Hebrews were struggling with is they, they almost struggle with a form of angel worship. And that's because they... they revered the law so highly that they saw angels as beings worthy of worship. So the, the author here is saying, in these last days, he's spoken by a son. In, in the earlier days, he spoke by prophets, he spoke by angels. But Jesus Christ is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. Okay. Um, in chapter 3, uh, the author of Hebrews emphasizes the law. Moses um, was a big guy in the Hebrew culture. And the author of Hebrews wanted to point out the fact that it's not the law in which they find their salvation. And he pointed out that Jesus is better. Jesus is um, the theme of every, every book in the Old Testament, of every message that the prophets delivered. And uh, that's what the author of Hebrews is wanting to point out here. One thing that really stands out to me as I think about that idea is the fact that it's in these last days that he spoke by his son. That's God's final word. That's phase three. There are no more phases. But it doesn't say that he spoke in many ways and at many times through Jesus. And as I thought about that, as I prayed over that over the last couple of weeks, as I knew I'd be sharing this with you guys, Jesus is every one of those words. So if we look at God as being patient, a lot of times we think about God being harsh and um, severe in the Old Testament, but he's not. If you look at the way the, 
the Israelites responded to God so many times they rebelled. He always drew them back to himself. That's a lot more patient than I would have been if I had that prerogative, you know. So that's an emphasis of God's mercy. We see that mercy in Jesus. In the Old Testament, we also see justice. If they rebelled to a certain point and they were hard-hearted, then the Lord um, cut them off and withheld his blessing from them. We see the justice in Jesus Christ when he went to the temple and he cleansed it out. Every word that we have, the many times, the many ways in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's just Jesus because he is the answer to every one of those things. He's the way that the Lord chooses to communicate to us today. The next thing that I want to point out is just the, uh, the next part of the verse. It says, second half of verse 2, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. It's interesting to me that the author of Hebrews, um, he talks about Jesus uh, being the way that God communicates, but why does he say that he's the heir of all things and that he's the one involved in creating the world? The reason that he's the heir of all things, and that's pointed out here, is because Jesus created it. Jesus will receive everything. So, as, as we're thinking about Jesus Christ being the Word, the Word that is absolutely true, how do we know that it's true? How do we know that one day things aren't going to change and that Jesus is able to deliver on His promises? The reason is because He created everything, so He owns it. But then why is He, the word appointed is in there? If He already owns it, then why is He appointed the heir of all things? It's kind of a tough idea, and it's something that I really had to wrestle through this week. But what happened? Jesus, by virtue of his being creator, he owns everything that exists. It doesn't mean just the world or just the planets or just the solar system or the stars or all that. But Jesus owns everything that's unseen as well. Um, powers and dominions that we, we don't even see. But he owns those by virtue of his creating them. So that idea of his appointing, being appointed as the heir, a lot of people use that to... Um, there's, there's this heresy called adoptionism. You guys ever heard of that? People say that Jesus was a man that was made and that the Lord adopted him as heir and that he appointed Jesus. The Lord was looking down for someone who was worthy of being made the heir, of being made the savior, of receiving. But we, we know that Jesus was God for eternity past, right? He existed for eternity past. But this is where they get that. But I think that what the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate to us is Jesus is not only heir by virtue of creating it, by virtue of having existed for eternity and being involved in creation, but he secured the inheritance when he died on the cross, when he, had, when he defeated death, when he defeated sin. That's what we would call a double inheritance. So the reason that the author of Hebrews put that in here within the context talking about the truth of the word is because Jesus Christ is able to fulfill His promise by merit of His owning everything. If one day it was no longer in His control, then He couldn't fulfill His promises. But the author of Hebrews has just given us all the confidence in the world, saying the Word is true. Jesus will make good on His promises because He owns it all, and that's never going to change. He has a double inheritance to guarantee uh, the good things that He's promised to you. A couple of years ago, I guess. Tyler, when did we climb Mount Albert? Do you remember? About a year and a half ago. I have a picture up here of, um, of a mountain that Tyler and I climbed. The reason Tyler's not in there is because there aren't too many people at the top of 14,000 foot mountains, so he had to take my picture. But uh, 
I mean, is that not majestic? Look at that. So that is the highest point. I'm literally standing on the highest point in Colorado. It's the second highest place in the contiguous U.S. There's one place higher in Colorado, I mean, in California by just a few feet. But you can't climb there unless you're a technical climber. So Tyler and I didn't give that one a shot. But um, go to the next slide, if you don't mind. That's called Mount Albert. Mount Albert is 14,440 feet tall. That's pretty high. At 14,440, there's literally about half of the oxygen as there is right here. So Tyler and I were huffing and puffing, especially me, when we got to the top there. You guys saw the picture. I mean, it's amazing to stand up there and look at everything that's just surrounding you and the view that you have. But compared to Mount Everest, that's twice as high. Mount Albert's kind of nothing. It's just a little knoll there in the middle of the U.S., right? Mount Everest is over 29,000 feet. And we think that that's huge, 29,000 feet. The highest point in Alabama, which I like to go there too, it's pretty, it's 2,400 feet. So... That's, that's pretty big. Um, but even when we think about Mount Everest in the big scope of things, the Earth's diameter is 8,000 miles. That's big. That's 29,000 feet. The Earth's diameter is 8,000 miles. The sun, the diameter is 865,000 miles. If you were to cut a little hole, an Earth-sized hole in the sun, you could pour 1.3 million Earths into the sun. That's a lot of Earths, Right? There's a star that scientists have discovered fairly recently called Betelgeuse. You ever heard of it? Yeah? So the sun is 865,000 miles. Betelgeuse is 510 million miles in diameter. It's, the star is the, orbit, the size of the orbit, orbit of Jupiter. That's huge, right? Sometimes for us... I mean, literally, when I was on the mountain, I mean, we were looking at the mountains, and all I could think about was the majesty of our Creator. It's, it's amazing. But our scope is so small compared to what it should be. We think about Elbert, huge. I mean, Mount Cheeha, Alabama, 2,400 feet. It's big for here. Betelgeuse is almost infinitely bigger, but compared to the creative power of Jesus Christ, even that is small. Because that's only as far as we can see, and there exists much more than, than that star that's so far away. The author writes of Jesus being creator just to emphasize to us the power that he has. Sometimes we think, we, in our own eyes, we make our lives so big and God so small, but God is infinitely bigger than we'll ever be. So he's saying that's the God who communicates with you. That's the God who's established the truth of His Word. That's the God who promises to fulfill His Word, and you can rest in that. I'm going to take a couple of minutes to just share with you a little bit about our church. Um, Our mission statement is based off the Great Commission. Our mission statement is this. The mission of Church of the Harbor is to make and mature disciples in the spirit of the Great Commission and for the glory of God. Let's just read the Great Commission together, and then you'll see why we phrased our mission statement the way we did. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
The mission of Church of the Harbor is to make disciples. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. The way that we translate the making of disciples is we are to do everything that we can to see people who aren't disciples made into people who are. That involves things like evangelism, engaging with your community, doing outreach. And the way that we're going to go about evangelism, we have what we call uh, just a, a threefold strategy. Evangelism, the way that I understand it growing up, is what's called confrontational evangelism. You guys ever heard that term? Yeah, it's probably something that a lot of us are familiar with. I don't like it because it, it seems a little bit negative or harsh, like we're confronting them. But what that means is we just take opportunities to confront people's thinking and share with them uh, the truth of God's Word. We call it declarational evangelism because we're going to make it a priority to declare uh, the truth of God's Word to people. That may involve knocking on doors. It may involve uh, just striking up conversations at uh, Starbucks or anywhere that we would be, really. But we're going to be really intentional about that. Uh, the second way that we're going to be involved in evangelism is called um, relational evangelism. Everybody on our team is committed to cultivating at least three relationships with non-believers for the sake of intentionally sharing with them the gospel. Um, that's something that, as a pastor, as somebody who's been involved in, in leading worship, and my job has been at the church for the last 17 years, uh, I don't necessarily have a lot of relationships with non-believers. Uh, so part of our commitment to make disciples means that we're going to commit to knowing people, building relationships with people who aren't believers. And the third way is what we call uh, practical evangelism. Uh, you may have heard of it as servant evangelism. That means we're just going to, um, we, we want to, our language is saturate the community with our presence. Um, we'll probably go to a park in the summer and where people are jogging, just hand out bottles of water. Uh, give them a card for our church and say, this, accept this in a, as an expression, a practical expression of God's love for you, of our love for you. We'd love to have you come visit our church sometime. And that doesn't involve necessarily declaring the gospel, but it's planting a seed that will open the doors to share the gospel. So that's what we mean when we say the mission of Church of the Harbor is to make disciples. We have also committed to maturing disciples. If you look at verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what? All that I've commanded you. So we not only want to make disciples, but we want to mature disciples. So what we're committing to is basically what, what I've done this morning with Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. We want to walk through the Bible and just help people understand what the Bible says, what it means. We want to help people understand how to study the Bible for themselves. Uh, I, I try to teach in such a way that people see where I'm getting my points. I remember growing up as uh, a young man in a Southern Baptist church, I thought my uh, pastor was some sort of superhero Christian. I had no idea how he knew everything that he did, and he preached amazing sermons. And I didn't know, and it, 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 the weakness is mine more than his, but I didn't understand how he studied in such a way to come up with what he was preaching. I, I try to say, in this verse, I get this by thinking of it this way. Not only that people can take away things that we're sharing on Sunday mornings, but so they'll know how to study the Bible for themselves. So we're committed to making disciples. We're, considered, uh, we're committed to maturing disciples. We want to do it in the spirit of the Great Commission, which is these verses that we just read. But what that means is we want to do it by the authority of Christ. We know that by Christ um, coming to earth, serving as our high priest, serving as our Savior, 
that he has been given by the authority uh, of, of God, the authority over those things. So we depend on his spirit, on his power to make these things happen. We wouldn't purport for a second to be able to make anything happen apart from the strength that, that comes from the authority of Christ, from the Holy Spirit working in us. And then ultimately it's all for the glory of God. Um, the reason I picked these couple of verses from, from Hebrews is, is it really says uh, a lot of the things that, that we want to be as a church. We want God to speak through his word. We want to, we want to be a part of declaring that. Uh, we don't want to see ourselves as big and God as distant and, uh, and small. We want to see God as huge and um, with the power to fulfill the promises that he's made to us. So that's what our church is going to be about. A couple of log- logistical things. We're making our first part of the move this Tuesday. Tyler West and I are going up with a trailer. We're going to unload it into the house. If you guys are friends with me on Facebook, you may have seen the picture of the, the little two-bedroom house that all seven of us are going to pack into. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun because you know it's, it's not space or um, practical things like that that cause one to be happy or fulfilled. You know, The joy comes in doing the things that the Lord has called you to of living in obedience to Him. We're going on Tuesday. There'll be a We'll be up there a week, then I'm coming back to uh, be a part of some meetings and some services with a couple of churches uh, around Alabama and Mississippi and North Carolina, and then we'll head up two weeks after that permanently. Um, as Charles said a little bit earlier, we have a website. We'd love you guys to, to get to know us. We have Facebook. We'd love for you guys to get to know us there. Um, what we ask from our partners is basically three things. So I want to share with you how, how you could partner with us. Um, we believe that partnerships are to be relational. A lot of times we could, um, you, you could get a prayer card and not ever do anything but see the prayer card taped to the dash of your, of your car and you'd pray for us every now and then, but you wouldn't necessarily, necessarily pray as fervently as if you genuinely loved us. For instance, when Shiloh had his uh, issue that required a second surgery on his throat, you better believe I was praying hard. Why? Because I deeply loved that little boy. You know what I mean? We ask for our partners who are committed to pray for us to get to know us as much as you can. That may mean a phone call or an email once a month or once every six months or whatever. We just want you to, to build a relationship with us so that there's um, just something more real involved in that. So that's prayer partnership. Uh, we also would love to have you guys come up and, and help us out. Brand new church. We've got six people plus our five kids right now. So that's, you know, that's pretty good, 11 to start with. But that's not a whole lot of people power or financial resources or things like that. So we want churches to come up and partner with us uh, in reaching our community. And the final way is just financial support. Um, Doing ministry takes money, but that's certainly not the most important thing. So any of those ways that you guys would want to be involved, we would consider it a huge privilege. To wrap up um, what we're talking about in Hebrews 1 today, I just want to say a couple things. Why do we need new churches in Birmingham or in Baltimore? I mean, you guys planted this church about three years ago, something like that now, Nelson. So why do we need new churches in these places? The reason we need new churches is because people are struggling today with the same exact things as they were struggling with when the letter of Hebrews was written. Um, There may be people who aren't believers that need to know of the truth of who God is as their creator, as the one who sends the truth. But I think as it applies more closely to us today, most of us in here are believers. Remember, the book of Hebrews was written to people who were believers, 
but they were being tempted to fall back into their old way of life because of, of hardship, of persecution. We, we may not experience the same kind of persecution that they experience, but a lot of us fall back into our old ways of living. I know that I struggle with those things. So whether it's fear or depression or materialism, I promise you, Jesus is better. Whether it's struggling with substances or relationships, Jesus is better, right? That is the purpose of this book. John eight thirty seven. Jesus is um, communicating to the Pharisees. He says, you're Abraham's descendants. This isn't a quote. This is Jeff Belcher. John eight thirty seven. write it down. You're Abraham's descendants. You claim to be people of faith, but you're opposed to me. He says, you hate me or you make war with me. You're trying to kill me. Jesus says of the Pharisees, you're opposed to me because your hearts are filled with things other than my word. What I want to ask us, what I want us to ask ourselves today is, what are we filling our hearts with? If you're filling your heart with Alabama football, there's not going to be enough room for Jesus, right? If you're filling your heart with The Walking Dead or with soap operas, there's not going to be the room that Jesus desires. If you're filling your heart with cars or houses or music or entertainment, movies, there's not going to be room that we're to have in our hearts for the affection of Jesus. How do we know? How do we know what our hearts are filled with? Look at the things that you spend your money on. Look at the way you spend your time. But if your affections are going to things other than Jesus, then Jesus says to the Pharisees, He says to us, this word, He went way out of His way to make Himself known to us. And as I stand before you today, I'm convicted that I don't value the living word made flesh the way that I should. Father, this morning, give us hearts to know you. How pitiful, Lord, that we would come before you and complain that you don't speak to us. We've left no room in our hearts for you, Lord. God, we've filled up our hearts with so many things. But Jesus is better. God, we recognize that. Lord, but I don't want that to stop at being an intellectual understanding. God, I want it to penetrate the deepest recesses of who we are as people. God, let it seep out of our pores. God, let it just produce fruit hanging off our lives. God, that our branches are just weighted down with the beautiful things that come out of loving Jesus. God, in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. That doesn't mean that we have to seek to be obedient to prove our love. What it says, God, is if we love you, if we pursue you, if we have affections for you, if our heart is filled up with the truth of who you are, obedience is going to flow out naturally because of the Holy Spirit's empowering us, affecting our desires. God, how amazing that you'd come to us through the prophets. God, in tons of ways. And ultimately through Jesus Christ to communicate the beauty, the majesty, the greatness of who you are. Father, I pray that you would help us to have hearts that are filled with you today. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.